0: When I lived in Albania on a daily basis, I would encounter something unique that would be foreign to those of us here in America. In Albania, they are very hospitable people. It is one of their prevailing positive traits. It's not just hospitable in terms of welcoming people into their home unannounced for indefinite amount of times, But they greet each other very well. They greet each other thoroughly. They greet each other at length. There's no just, hi, how are you, I'm moving on. If you saw someone you knew, even if it was across a busy road, they would run across the road and you would run across the road and you would meet them in the intersection or just on the street at a coffee bar, wherever it may be, regardless of what was going on around you. You would stop. Stop. You would shake hands if you knew them well. They would kiss you on the cheek, man to man, woman to woman. And even with cars flying by, there was a conversation. That would have happened because a friend would see you. You could just imagine. And this is exactly how it was. The traffic there is incredible. It's madness. It's chaotic. So just imagine standing on one side of El Camino at traffic hour, rush hour, And crossing through the cars and standing right in the middle of those four lanes and there's cars rushing by and you're just greeting your friend because that's what you did. And the greeting would be in our minds as Americans redundant as they would ask the same question over and over again in different ways. They would literally stand there, sometimes holding your hand, shaking the whole time and ask you five or six questions that were essentially the same question. How are you? how have you been? How have you passed the time? Is your family well? Are your children well? How is your wife? My wife could be standing right there. And I'd say to every question, good, good, very good, good, good. Then they would turn to my wife. How are you? How have you passed the time? How has work been? Is your family well? The kids are good. Your husband, I'm still standing there. Is he good? And you just keep saying, mir, 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 shumir, mir, mir falamenderet. Good, good, very good, thank you. And then it's my turn to ask the exact same questions. Sieni, any, si kachen, si kenichen, buri mir, familia mir, famiet mir, si kalon. And they're mir, 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 shumir, mir, falamenderet. And then you're on your way, trying not to get hit by the, r- the cars. Although it was redundant, it was cultural, there was something special about it. It wasn't just three seconds where you don't make eye contact, you just wave and keep going. To take the time out of your rush to work, to even risk your life, literally, by running across a highway to properly greet a friend or even just an acquaintance. I believe as Americans we have lost the art of salutation. We don't take the time and energy to greet people in a way that is appropriate, in a way that is polite. We are rude to one another. And this is true also in the church. We don't greet people and interact with one another in a way that is appropriate for the family of God. We can be so consumed with getting the job done, so consumed with ourselves, with our own comfort, with being there on time, Maybe it's even sin with our own judgment or dislike of other Christians. Just making a beeline to our favorite people in the church that we can walk into the church without a word, sit in our chairs, don't make eye contact, say hi without even turning our heads to the people that are greeting you or stopping our stride. It may seem superficial, but it's rude. It is unloving. It is not befitting of the family of God. And I understand, and hopefully you understand, that what I'm talking about and what I'm about to talk about this morning is not just about being polite and saying the right words, it is about your heart. Because your heart is going to determine how you interact with other people, especially believers. And if your heart is right, you're going to determine that I'm too rushed on Sunday morning, I need to get there earlier so I could talk to people, I can greet people we can greet one another or just not greet one another in a way that is just not proper it's rude and this morning i want to attempt to fix that i want to fix that by looking at paul's greeting to the family of god in first corinthians chapter 16 verses 19 through 24 our last passage last sermon in first corinthians first corinthians chapter 16 verses 19 through 24. I invite you to turn there with me as I read for you verses 19 through 24, the last six verses of 1 Corinthians. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed, Maranatha. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. This morning, I want to give you four elements of a profitable salutation. Four elements of a profitable or encouraging, same thing, biblically, salutation. The first element of a profitable salutation is, is authentic greetings authentic greetings look at verse 19 in the beginning of verse 20 the first sentence in verse 20 again he says the churches of asia greet you aquila and prisca greet you heartily in the lord with the church that is in their house and all the brethren greet you this of course is the very conclusion of this letter it is the end of his conclusion And so we enter with this first sentence, the final phase of Paul signing off his letter to the Corinthians. And he begins by mentioning the various people that are around him, where he is writing this letter from, that send their warm greetings to the church at Corinth. We do something similar uh, these days when we say, by the way, my mom says hi. Or when I speak at another church, I'll say something like, I bring warm greetings from Grace Church of the Bay Area. However, we know that from Paul, this is more than just name-dropping or superficial courtesy. There is an intense love for the brethren within the universal church, that is all believers everywhere, that is made more intense by the inability to communicate easily. You also have the fact that times were very difficult for Christians in this early stage of the church, so there is a greater sense of community. Wanting to encourage one another, thinking of one another, praying for one another. So you see what I mean? There's a lot of persecution. And so it is very encouraging to hear that there are others praying, greeting you, thinking of you. And also these were not people they could just send an email or even a a letter that could get there in a couple of days or just a couple of weeks overseas as it is today. You couldn't email, you couldn't text, you couldn't call. And so just to hear that there's another church somewhere that is undergoing the same persecution and the difficulties and the poverty is greeting us, that would be very encouraging and a sign of love. And think about it. It's hard for us today because we know that just two miles, two or three miles in either way on El Camino from here, there are other churches. We could walk there in 30 minutes. You see them all the time. We see each other all the time. But in this context, there was a greater sense of community because of what was going on. Christianity was still considered a cult. There was heavy, heavy persecution from the Jews and from the polytheism of the day. And in this particular case, Paul starts with the churches of Asia. Asia at this time would be the Roman province located in Western Asia Minor. Ephesus, where Paul is writing from, was the economic and administrative hub of the region. And so the churches in the area would have resulted from Paul's ministry that we read about in Acts 19, all of which, as an apostle, he would keep in touch with and thus could definitively say they send all their greetings. There were not as many churches as there are today, not even close, and so it would be easy to account for all of them. He would have personal contact with all of them. He then goes on and says that there are these two individuals that would be familiar to the Corinthians, Aquila and Prisca, that greet them as well as the church that meets in their house. And then he ends with all the brethren. That would be the entire community of believers in the city of Ephesus where he is. As you know, at this time, house churches were the norm because churches had to meet wherever they could and homes existed. And it would be easiest just to meet in someone's home than try to purchase a building, build a building. It just wasn't easy there. It wasn't done back then. And we know from Acts 18 that when he was in Corinth, Paul ministered with and lived with Prisca and Aquila. And now he is ministering with them in Ephesus because Acts 18 also tells us that when Paul went to Ephesus, Prisca and Aquila went with him. That same chapter tells us that Prisca and Aquila led Apollos, the former leader of the Corinthian church, to the Lord. Incidentally, probably helping with their bond, uh, paling in comparison to their bond in Christ, however, is that Prisca and Aquila also happened to be ethnically Jewish like Paul and also made a living making tents like Paul. He says these people greet the Corinthians. The word Greek in the Greek means to embrace. And it was used to speak of a a salute, a greeting which would occur upon one's arrival or departure. And it also referred to the equivalence within a letter. So the introductory greeting in a written letter as well as the closing salutations as we see here. But they don't just greet, they greet heartily. It literally means many or much. And in this context means how it's translated, heartily. In other words, sincerely, genuinely, and completely. We know that a white lie is still a lie. And so when Paul says they greet you heartily, he's not just trying to be nice or encourage them with something that's not actually true. They are truly, sincerely, genuinely greeting the church at Corinth. And we put these two together The word greet, which means to embrace and heartily, sincere, much. We know that there is more than mere words in this greeting that Paul is passing along. There's a lot we can learn from Aquila and Prisca. We don't have time for that this morning. They were clearly faithful servants, sacrificing much for the Lord, including great acts of hospitality. They weren't just poverty-stricken people. They're like, well, if you're going, Paul will go. We have nothing here. There's many indications that they were very wealthy people and yet they dropped everything to serve the Lord and follow Paul to a new place. Ultimately, their primary desire in life was the Christian ministry, the work of the Lord. And all of this I mention only because we have to take this into account when reading this verse. These aren't people who would just give a superficial greeting. Paul, greet the Corinthians for, oh, you're writing to our home church Greet them for us. We miss them. We love them. In our modern times in America, that phrase, so-and-so says hi, can mean different things to you based on who that so-and-so is. If it's just an old acquaintance that you haven't seen for years and maybe you just keep in touch mildly on social media and someone says, oh, hey, Chris from high school says hi... Eh, okay. You don't think much of it. It's just like, oh, that was nice. You happened to see Chris before you saw me, and he's like, oh, you're going to go see Roger? Say hi. But if it's someone that you know truly loves you, someone you have a deep and strong relationship with you, then to say Chris says hi means something very different. It means that that person would greet you in person if he could, but they're sending their greeting through someone else. Even if it's someone you talk to all the time, if someone's visiting from Maryland or from New York or from D.C. or wherever you're from and says, oh, I saw your mom, she wants me to say hi and give you a hug. It means a lot more to you than someone that you can barely remember who they are. And this speaks to what we're talking about here right now. There's a love there that is infinitely more profound when that love is rooted in Jesus Christ. It changes your demeanor simply when someone says, so-and-so says hi. It brings encouragement and strength. It's an acknowledgement that they acknowledge you. It makes you feel seen. It makes you feel important as a co-laborer in Christ with that individual who is sending their greetings. And that, Christians, is how we need to see each other. That is how we need to consider one another. That is how we need to greet the church. As I mentioned earlier briefly, we tend to have less of an appreciation for one another or at least one another's presence due to our cultural and personal circumstances. We see each other more often and even if we don't, we know we can communicate with them easily through a text, a phone call, an email, whatever it may be. Even in person, we see each other one, two, three, four times a week, hanging out, dinner, small groups, men's groups, women's groups, whatever it may be. And to top all of that off, our culture has trained us to be dangerously, yes, dangerously independent with a bent towards being easily annoyed and judgmental. We live in a country, in a time where Christianity is flourishing and tolerated. I know you feel persecuted at times when you watch the news, when you listen to the politicians, but compared to Paul's day and compared to many countries around the world, Christianity is very much tolerated here. Because of all of these factors, we can lack the excitement when we see each other a genuine joy in seeing another believer. We lack genuine love. We lack appreciation. And this ultimately goes back to what we've talked about in the last two sermons or the last sermon and three sermons ago in 1 Corinthians regarding fellowship, unity, team spirit, who we are, we are in Christ. Yes, we have differences. But the one similarity that we all share is the most important similarity anyone can have. Jesus Christ. And when you have the right perspective of Christians and live rightly in a God-hating world, then our greetings in our hearts should be more than just, Oh, hey. And it should veer to a truly hearty, sincere greeting. Good to see you. We must have authentic greetings. And again, I'm going to say this throughout the morning. I've already said it. An authentic greeting is not just the right words. Even if there are words chosen to encourage when in your heart you're harboring bitterness or anger or just neutrality, it must stem from the heart you truly love. It would flow out in authentic greetings. And a second element of a profitable salutation is affectionate gestures. Affectionate gestures. Greet one another, he goes on in verse 20, with a holy kiss. The greeting, this greeting, is in my own hand. And then he signs his name, Paul. There are two gestures of affection that I see here. Let's start with the first one. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. In the ancient world, it was custom to kiss as a greeting, both when you meet someone and then when you leave that individual. This would be a kiss on the forehead brow area or on the cheek, and you would only greet someone of the same gender in this way. It's a custom that is still practiced in several countries today. This practice, however, dates far back beyond Paul's day, In fact, in Scripture, we see this kind of greeting all the way back in Genesis 27 when Abraham, on his deathbed, asked Isaac to come close and kiss him, kiss your father. We see this same kiss within family when Jacob and Esau reconcile in Genesis 33. Remember that? He was so scared and he sent all these gifts ahead of him. And then finally he saw Jacob. In Genesis thirty-three-four, then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Moving on to New Testament times, this was common practice in synagogues. As far as the New Testament it's itself is concerned, this is actually one of five times that the church is called to greet one another with either a holy kiss or a kiss of love four times by Paul, once by Peter. And here's why this matters to us. In that culture, that kiss wasn't just something you were obligated to do, like a handshake or a fist bump to certain people today. In that culture, that kiss was a sign of respect, honor, and appreciation. It was a sign of respect, honor, and and appreciation. There was an affection there. A holy kiss, as the Scriptures and Paul uses here, moves the gesture beyond merely the cultural and into the church, where it highlights the bond among believers with a physical expression of fellowship, cooperation, and Christian identity that exceeds the divisions of race, class, and gender. It makes it something that's not just something everyone in the culture does. It is special for believers. It means something more. Because the kiss was the same kiss that the two unbelievers right outside the house church were doing. It doesn't look any different when Christians do it. It is a matter of the heart when they say a holy kiss. It's not just a greeting. It's a holy greeting. And much like many mundane, normal things in our lives, it is nothing we actually do or where we buy that product that makes it holy. It is us, because of Christ working through us, that makes that holy. Greet one another with a holy kiss. It is a greeting that, yes, the rest of the world may also use externally, but has greater significance and meaning for the believer as we affirm our bond in Jesus Christ. A holy greeting for God's holy people. Now, a kiss was culturally appropriate and still is in certain places today. It is not a cultural norm here. Despite the request of many of our single guys to practice this at our church, it is not appropriate. I'm just kidding. No one has done that. Well, one guy used to, but he got married recently. What can we do today, though? We can give a hug or a side hug, a handshake, a fist bump, even just eye contact and no physical touch. Again, it's a matter of the heart. It's not that we need to adopt some sort of physical gesture for one another. It is about the holiness. It is about respect and appreciation and affection. And you say... (laughs) A hug, a handshake, a fist bump, eye contact. That's what the world does. Shouldn't we have something different? Those are just everyday greetings. Yes, but again, back in Paul's day, so was the kiss. We can take what the world does and use it for God's glory to make it special because it's a matter of the heart. And to make matters clearer regarding the kiss, a romantic kiss is only mentioned twice in the Scriptures. Once, naturally, in Song of Solomon, and another in Proverbs, where it is a warning of the manipulation of the adulteress. In other words, a common action, like a hug or a kiss, can be used in countless ways with countless meanings, but can also be used for the edification of believers and the glory of God. If you're an introvert, if you're shy, that's okay. I'm right there with you. If you're not a hugger, this is not a call to become a hugger. This is about your heart. Again, it can start with just eye contact, stopping, letting people know what is truly in your heart and what should be in your heart is an affection for them. It is about the holiness, not the gesture. It's about your heart and how you view others in light of your mutual relationship with God. It has to go beyond your own personal comfort, your own excitement, your own, oh, now we can have some fun. It is a sacrificial heart and a desire for other believers. And that's what we see in our second affectionate gesture, still in point two here. In verse 21, it says, the greeting is in my own hand, Paul. As was common during that time, Paul uses... And amanuensis, which is a fancy old word for a secretary to write his letters. In the case of 1 Corinthians, as we know, is most likely Sosthenes. And in 1 Corinthians, the secretary wrote a lot. Paul was dictating to him, of course. But he only wrote up until this final greeting, where Paul takes the parchment and starts writing in his own hand. He does the same thing in Galatians and indicates that they know it's his handwriting because his handwriting was larger, arguably messier. That's why he had to write larger than that of his scribe. Though probably not the main reason Paul does this, it would prove the authenticity of the letter being from Paul. But what probably comes to mind when you think about uh, this type of thing for modern letter writers is typing up a letter on your computer, printing it, and then you hand sign it right? It's the only thing in pen on that whole letter. And that's completely fine. That's acceptable today. But that actually falls short of what's happening here. And this is important. This is one of those little tidbits that is so cool to understand. At this time, it was common practice to use a secretary to write letters, but it was not normal or accepted to have a personal signature. Paul did this outside of the norm of what is accepted in that culture. Even in legal documents, people would not personally sign it. They would just dictate to a secretary. And so what Paul is doing here is to be understood as a sign of affection and proof of what he has said all along in this letter about his desire to be with them in person, his longing for the Corinthians. It's something special. There are so many reasons we have lost the simple displays of greeting and common courtesy today. The reasons run the gamut from being too busy to being too lazy from being an introvert to just having a critical spirit regarding everyone again god looks at the heart maybe there is a physical gesture that you know would show others that you care and want to give them attention again it can be as simple as a handshake turning your body to make eye contact, stopping your stride, putting your phone in your pocket or on the table. Admittedly, a lot of this can be superficial and stop at the level of social cues and common courtesy. But we must remind ourselves that God looks at the heart, and that our bond in Christ should naturally exude in affection for one another, I know that I myself am guilty on a Sunday morning as I try to put down all my stuff and get ready for service that I can easily just greet you without looking at you and keep walking. Not taking a second to stop. And I apologize for that. That's my bad. And it needs to change. On the flip side, I think you can relate to times where you just see someone and you want to hug them. You want to embrace them, but it's not appropriate. And so you just say hi and you talk to them and you engage with them. And that's good because of what is in your heart. My wife ministers to several of the single women in our church. And I love them dearly. But it's not appropriate for me to show them the signs of brotherly affection that I would like to. And this is what we're talking about. To be able to engage with people regardless of what you can or cannot do in a physical way. To love them. To show that you care about them. And I know we're busy. We're hard. It's hard these days. I know this is kind of beside the point. I've got to to get this off my chest. Where has the wave... Gone when you stop traffic to let someone in or completely pause your day to let someone make that illegal three-point turn in the middle of El Camino Real. Not even a wave. You just expect it. Let's be people who wave. Let's bring the wave back, okay? Not, not the wave like at a football. You know, like, just thank you. So simple. But when it comes to these affectionate gestures, we're all busy. We have a lot on our minds. We need, we're, we, we need to get to where we're going to. And perhaps you can relate to the busy, multitasking mom who has to talk, who has to teach, who has to discipline her children while at the same time cooking, driving, or nursing the baby. Maybe you can sympathize with the worker who cannot take his eyes off the computer or his fingers off the keyboard if he is to get his assignment done on time. And the work culture is totally accepting of that. They'll even say, no, don't look at me, keep working, but I need to share something with you. Communicating without eye contact or even taking a second to stop your typing. And that's okay in those contexts. But we cannot let those things bleed into our church, into the context of fellowship. Outside of the busyness of dinner time and homework, away from the accepted hustle and bustle of the office, we need to have the heart attitude that makes us willing to truly love and express that love simply by how we greet with people, how we talk to people. Church. My family. Sometimes we don't even smile at each other anymore. We're in a conversation. That's good. That's fellowship. We look at who comes in the door at church or small group, not even a nod, a smile, or a wave, and we just go back to our besties. No acknowledgement that another blood-bought Christian who is running the race alongside you has entered the room. And when we do leave, we just slink away, no goodbye, no great seeing you all, no love. Here's the thing. God looks at the heart. But by way of example, it's not enough to have a heart of service and never serving. In the same way God wants us to love one another from the heart, yes, but also to exhibit that love in big ways, yes, but also small. Affectionate gestures can be as simple as stopping. Let's do better. Third element of a profitable or encouraging salutation admonishing guidances admonishing guidances I must confess that is not grammatically correct to add an S to guidance as that little red line and word told me but we're going to stick with the plural admonishing guidances verse 22 if anyone does not love the Lord he is to be accursed Maranatha. seems a little out of place Right, These people greet you. These people love you. These people send their hugs. And, and if anyone does not love the Lord, they are to be accursed. But Paul's love for God and his people is actually seen in this warning and this de- declaration, the declaration being Maranatha. Those who are truly in Christ love the Lord. We know that. That's fundamental. He's not arguing there. that. So what Paul is stating here is, not some sort of curse on believers who struggle with sin or are not excelling in their love for God. This is a statement about unbelievers, unbelievers who are in the church. Let's start with the word accursed. It means to devote or dedicate to destruction, cursed. You've heard the word anathema. In the big picture of what he's talking about here, it simply means those who don't love the Lord are to be destined to hell. And with all that has been addressed in the Corinthian church, this is probably Paul's last attempt to show the Corinthians where they stand in contrast to the false teachers that have come in, the rebel rousers that have infiltrated the church at Corinth. For us, it is a reminder that we are distinct from the world that the difference between us and them is not merely about greetings or Sunday morning or even a value system or morality. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ that separates between heaven and hell. And that's a fundamental truth in Scripture. It is arguably the fundamental truth of Scripture. And so what Paul is doing here is providing a powerful condemnation of the false teachers and false believers in the church and reminding the believers this is where they stand. Stop listening to them. And in light of this, Paul ends the verse with Maranatha. Without any context, this word can mean several things. The difficulty of interpretation lies in the fact that this is a compound word. So one word that is made up of two or more smaller words, it's Aramaic. Maran means our Lord. Atha means comes. But where you break up that compound word, which the the text doesn't tell us, the writing doesn't tell us, determines its meaning, meaning. So as it's written, we don't know where it's broken. So there's two possible meanings I'm going to give you just to be thorough. Our Lord come, like a prayer. Our Lord, comma, come. It's a prayer. Lord come soon, which be, would be Maran, Tha. Or it's a praise or confession. Our Lord comes, or our Lord has come, a praise of worship, which would be Maran, atha. I'm sure you care greatly about this stuff. I'm just being thorough. Regardless of the nuance that Paul has in mind, in this context, we see a prayer and a comfort that the Lord is coming to remove those that are accursed from the church and from the world, which is a continuation of his admonishment in that he is calling unbeliever church attenders to repent, to truly turn to the Lord, and it's for us as well. If you are here and in your heart of hearts, you know that you do not have a right relationship with God, this is a call to repent because the rest of us want the Lord to come soon. But when he comes, you are accursed. So repent. Ultimately, though, in the context of this greeting, Paul is reminding us of the difference between us and unbelievers Thus, again, highlighting the bond that we have in Jesus Christ, for we are not accursed. Jesus was accursed in taking the penalty of our sin on our behalf. And we need to interact with others in such a way that believers are encouraged by your affection and false believers are warned by your affection. Your affection, your biblical affection. In other words, our interactions must go beyond, again, the superficial and the civil. It must go down to the core of who we are and what we believe. And if we live that out, it will be convicting to the sinning believer and greatly convicting to the unbeliever. Because everything we say, even how we interact, exudes the fact that we are saved and have an allegiance to Jesus Christ. It has been said that every interaction with another believer should push another person who is interacting either closer to heaven or to hell. To accomplish that, we must do more than just be present. We must engage. We must love. We must warn. We must admonish. Element number four. We've seen authentic greetings, affectionate gestures, admonishing guidances. And finally, our fourth element, of a profitable salutation, appropriate goodbyes. Appropriate goodbyes. The last two verses of the book, verses 23 and 24, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Every one of Paul's letters ends with some sort of benediction in which grace is mentioned. It's really just a Christianized conclusion to what was a standard closing in letters of the day. Back then, what was common was to write, you know, we write like sincerely, love. Back then, they would write be strong. And Paul is Christianizing it by talking about the grace of Jesus Christ, which is very appropriate in that cultural context since we rely on the grace or strength of God rather than our own. Grace, of course, being the unmerited, freely f- given favor of God which, God, which Paul, rather, desires for them through Jesus Christ. And it is fitting that this is exactly how Paul started the letter with the phrase grace to you, as grace is the beginning, middle, and end of the gospel. It is the one word, grace is, that fully expresses what God has done for his people and what he will do for his people in Christ, it is the reason for the name of our church. Paul goes on in verse 24 to also express his love for them in Christ. Again, this is more than just love Paul at the end of a modern letter, but expresses the reality that has been etched into every single word of this letter to the Corinthians. He loves them. He loves them. When I graduated from seminary, the night I graduated from seminary, there were some people that at the church where the seminary was that I attended threw a big party for me, a graduation party because with my graduation i also ended a two-year stint of as the leader they called it the shepherd of a ministry at ucla called grace on campus the night of my graduation the students who were there the the, the college students at ucla they threw a, a huge party at the church and if you've been to my home office. You've probably seen a large framed uh, football jersey. It's a UCLA football jersey. It's not about the player it represents. It was a gift. And all those signatures are the signatures of the students that were in my ministry. And that was one of the gifts from the group that was given to me that night. As the night progressed, more gifts were given. Hundreds, if not thousands of dollars worth of books and commentaries. People got up and shared. It was a very, very special night. Toward the end of the party, one of, if not the wisest man I have ever had the privilege of knowing personally, he was one of my theology professors at seminary, but it was also on what we called senior staff, so adult, non-student, non-seminary student or UCLA student staff staff. Uh, at the Grace on Campus, Dr. Trevor Cragen, now with the Lord. He said to me, I don't remember his exact words, I'm paraphrasing. He said, Roger, he's South African. It has been a wonderful evening. He also had a lot of health problems that created innumerable issues. His body shook so much that he lost uh, dozens of pounds just from his Parkinson's. Which he never once complained about. Even, total tangent, but I love this man. Even um, deciding, I can't teach anymore. My voice is giving out. I can't grade papers. I'm shaking. I'm going to resign. And John MacArthur, the president of the seminary, begged him to stay. Like, well, just do research for us. P- people love this man. A friend of mine attended the Grace Community Church elder board meeting where he announced he was resigning. And as one of the few times the entire elder board was just weeping. Just a, a godly, godly man. And he said to me, it's been a wonderful evening. And he said, tomorrow will be difficult. Because the fanfare is over and everyone is gone. He, he wasn't being a downer. He was giving me guidance and wisdom and warning me that I may have a tough time tomorrow off of that emotional and spiritual high at this party celebrating the Lord's grace and celebrating the Lord's grace in me. It's the same sort and he was right, but it was the same sort of emotional crash that I actually experienced last Monday, as I do every Monday after our church's retreat, as some of you do, I'm sure. It is the end of something special that you share with fellow believers, it isn't a depression, it isn't a selfish lack of attention. It is the power of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ emblematic or, 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 or signified through our love for one another and the fellowship we share. Because of this, there should be a sadness of sorts every time we leave another believer. But if that doesn't happen, it may be because our interactions are not Christ-centered. It may be because we don't truly love. But when that sadness comes, we rejoice. Because things like God's grace and Christian love don't end with the closing of a celebration or the end of a retreat. In fact, it never ends. And because of that, we should not be afraid to express our love to one another. Even if the interaction is brief, through biblically authentic greetings, through affectionate gestures, through admonishing guidances, or appropriate goodbyes. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. The greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed, Maranatha. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us in this small way that is tied to greater and larger roots to avoid being like the society around us which is so independent, which is so busy focusing only on self, focusing only on who they consider number one. May we do the same but understand here on earth number one is others. And may we take the time in small and large ways to interact with one another, to greet one another, where even a short matter of hello and eye contact and stop looking at our phone or whatever it may be shows that we truly appreciate those in the Lord. Yes, we are sinners. Yes, we have Preferences. Yes, we are judgmental. We are proud. We have chips on our shoulder. We are unforgiving. But Lord, may we look not to each other in this way, but to you. And because of that, may we treat uh, each other with respect and honor and re- recognition because we truly love one another, not because of our own abilities, but because of what you have done in our lives and what you have done in others. And may our lives also exude the gospel so that those who don't know you are driven to repentance and embracing you as Lord and Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand as we close.